the after party. I feel like we all need a breather after that epic chase scene. So, boys, how do you guys feel? Not that tired, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks. You did no running at all. So <laughs> Surprising. I am. I feel like I just tried out for the varsity football team and did my, my damnedest and uh, am winded. And I'm a little smelly. Yes, you are covered in mud. Yeah. Eric? Uh, the Dungeons and the Dragons... Two Dungeons, Two Dragons, The Dungeons and the Dragons, Tokyo Drift, Dungeons and Dragons, Fast Dungeons, (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons It wasn't Fast fast Dragons? No, it was, well, no, that's Fast Dungeon. No, that's Dungeons 5, sorry. (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons 6, uh, uh, Dragon 7, and The Fate of the Dragons. The Fate of the Dragons is probably already a thing. Like, it has to be. I've played that module. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so well, yeah I, I had a good time <laughs> I super enjoyed that chase scene and if listeners have not heard the 10 minute recap of the Fast and Furious franchise uh, which includes the immortal line chase scene chase scene we're gonna link it for you in, in the description don't worry sorry we had to cut out the part where Alonzo brings everyone around a grill and he, <laughs> and he, and he says oh you are all my family especially the robot beep beep <laughs> Uh, actually, Vin Diesel, please come on our podcast. Please play D&D with us. Oh, my God. That'd so be so cool. Also, I don't Can you imagine? So in the after party, we talk about things that didn't necessarily make it on mic or that happened behind the scenes that we didn't discuss. One of which was we started this episode, unusually for us, with about 15 minutes of talking to each other that didn't make it into the episode. That is called table talk, when we talk about the thing that we're going to be doing. So what did we talk about and, and why did we choose to do it, Fish? We talked about what we thought our characters would do at the beginning of this chase scene. Table talk is really difficult sometimes because, you know, you want to be in the moment. But sometimes it's hard to be in the moment when you're conflicting what you would do and what your character would do and then have to reconcile that. So sometimes, you know, when appropriate, it makes sense to do some table talk, figure out plan of action. It was interesting to think it through and kind of have an idea of what Johnny would do before. And I know we all did the same thing. Yeah, like like this is not against the rules. Like we are professionals. We did not divulge information. But I did chat with Eric briefly about like what course of action I could possibly take as Tracy in the next episode before we record this episode. Yeah, because uh, we had two weeks where we knew that this chase had just started before right. we were able to actually play it out. Exactly. And in, in real life, Eric and Brandon spent a little too much time together these past two weeks. Brandon pinned me in a plane and just like strapped me down and it, just for two hours asked me like, so what if Tracy didn't run? I did do that. Yeah. Brandon uh, uh, devised a business trip in order to have an excuse to spend 12 <laughs> hours with Eric on a plane. Um, so originally I actually came into this thinking that Tracy – would probably actually not run like he would just watch you guys run away and try to chase them because he was super super duper interested in trying to figure out who and what and why cole was and what the devil thing was he's all about gaining knowledge if he can so that was actually my original plan 
I thought you were going to say that pursuing something through a crowded market reminded him of his kind of traumatic past with mobs and persecution and stuff. True. He doesn't actually have very clear memories of that, though, because he was in rage mode. So what changed your mind? I realized that Tracy is lawful good. Like, he is going to try to see this through. He can't just, like, watch a kidnap happen and then not try to intervene. Uh, So I... Brandon, the player, wanted to go figure out what this devil is, and I think I was rationalizing it because that sounds fucking dope. But uh, in the end, I think we I had to play it to my character. I guess I never processed, and this is me loving action movies. This is me loving like Fast and Furious, Gone in sixty seconds, like all of those the big scenes in the Bourne movies and Mission Impossible. If there's a chase scene and I have any sort of ability to be in it, regardless of my strength, like, I'm going to do it. That never crossed my mind in a million years that people wouldn't want to participate in, like, the climax of action movies. Let's talk about (laughs) Sneaky McGee over here, though. You're the action movie star who I want. Yeah, Inara is a kid from the country who grew up with a bunch of older cousins talking about, you know, the like folkloric tales and legends of people that they know. And this is her second day in the big city. So hell yes, she was going to take the opportunity to do a Jason Bourne over these market stalls. I keep forgetting that it's day two of us being in this town. (laughs) Yeah, and this is like day four of Inara being away from her family for the first time. So she is just like taking every opportunity to to do cool stuff. And I bet you she has practiced that move with the ball bearings a thousand times, like throwing something at like the hole in a tree to try to, I don't know, hit it, assuming she would need that skill Mm -hmm. at some point. I want to know more about the actual like chase itself, like the mechanics. All right, first of all, shout out to dndhackersguild.weebly.com. This is a blog that I found this on. I Googled better chase mechanics. The Dungeon Master's Guide has everything, but it's not always the best. So there is a chase mechanic, and I always thought it was really interesting that they would actually make this big action scene happen. But it's actually really complicated to follow, and I couldn't really parse it. So a shout out to D&D Hackers Guild. Uh, I'm using their fast and fun chase rules for D&D 5e, and uh, it just kind of captures the action, which I love. So let me tell you what happened from a player's perspective and a listener's perspective. So there was a distance rule, so about 25 feet. If we succeeded, 25 feet failed. Like we get 25 feet closer, 25 feet far away mm-hmm. if we fail. We did athletic contests. Uh, if I won, I got closer. If I failed, I got further away. And then there's something happened where you rolled some die, and then some event happened. Right. What okay. was that? Okay, so you guys were doing a check to see, like, who would catch up on who, who, like, won that particular leg. I had a certain number of legs in my head, like, how long the chase would work before you guys, like, ran out of space and they would go and go wherever they had to go. Um, I also gave Inara acrobatics instead of athletics because you, Jason, borned it and, like, did parkour. I fudged that a little bit. And, like, I'm very okay with that. I made that very high very hard to do. So then I basically designated each one of you to be like the representative from your team. And you might have noticed that. Like I told Inara to roll or I told Johnny to roll when he busted back in on Joe or when uh, Tracy rolled. And then I had the other three characters go as well. The centaur, halfling one and halfling two. Halfling one was the one with the flaming arrow and halfling two was the one with the recorder. I actually made stats and items for all these people. So, like, the centaur was a lot stronger than Halfling 1 and Halfling 2, just to mix it all up. 
whoever won that contest either got closer or farther. And then depending on whether you guys rolled an even or an odd number was dependent on who had to deal with the chase table. I have a table right here, which I'll show everyone on Patreon, labeled from 1 to 20 about different things that might happen when you are in the chase. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but the majority of them, y'all kept rolling evens. So it kept happening to them, which is why they got hit with the flame thing. Actually, that was a jar holding a fire elemental. Oh, I thought it was like alchemist fire. Well, kind of. It was yeah. like in a jar and it broke and like it's why the hands, it was supposed to be like a living being. And cool. then the centaur got scorched. Um, you so, getting hit with the dog, that was actually, it was under the random table. So I actually rolled again to see what the random thing would be. And uh, just based on whether we rolled even or odd in, in our contest, that determined like who the effects of this table hit. Yes, exactly. Got it. So you got hit with the dog. I they, lost the uh, the cloak. cloak. Yes, you lost the cloak. That was one of them. Uh, them having to deal with the wooden fence. That was another thing that was on the chase table. I How- jumped over an albino oxen. Well, what happened was they dealt with the things that were thrown at them in the way that they knew how. So it's like you have a wooden fence, you shoot it with flames, and then you have your big strong dude bust through it at full speed. This halfling had some sort of instrument that made the bison do a thing, and then you had to deal with it. So it was like things happen and they can interact with them at different times. Uh, you'll see there were other stuff that we just didn't get to, which I'm super bummed about. My favorite thing is uh, actually it's called Snap Opportunity. And I would have count down from three and all three of you plus the enemies might have had a chance to like do something extra. So that would have just made it really, really exciting. Like it our jumps from the stall and, and lands on top of the centaur. Yeah, whatever. you could have like done an attack. You could have done another spell. You could have really like, done anything. Like a bonus bonus action or something. Yeah. But you couldn't do that unless we actually got to it in the chase table. Shout out. I really love this mechanic. I mean, I messed with some things on my own, but this really like made it very action-packed. And I mean, I had a good time running it. Yeah, it was super cool. <laughs> I have I have some questions from our audience for our after party. Let's Woo! do it. Uh, this is from the Potterless Podcast. I've never heard of Did it. Did I pronounce that correctly? And what is his name is his name Mi- Mikel? Mikel Shubes. Mikhail Schubert. Mikhail Schubert. Is uh, this a bit? No. It's Michael Schubert from the Potterless Podcast. <laughs> we like my him a lot. very old friend and good, good friend of the show. He asked, um, what role superstitions do you have? Do you blow on the dice, shaking them three times? Does anyone have any superstitions when they roll the dice? I'm the newest player, and one that I have picked up is from Fish right here to my right. Leaving all your dice on the table with the highest possible roll facing upward, because I think it is giving good vibes to the dice and also pretty and reminds me which one is which, which is the most tactical and important thing that you can do there. If someone says D10, I go, oh, these are all shapes. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> even when Eric says D6 to this day, I'm not used to thinking of D6 as like the, the normal thing that I think of when I think of a die. So leaving your dice with the highest number face up is what I recommend. Uh, I don't believe in it at all. <laughs> Beep boop, I'm a robot. I do turn my dice uh, top number side up just because so I can see them quickly, but that's huh. not a juju thing at all. Interesting. I like my die a lot because they're very cool looking. They're like kind of black and gold and green. You and can smatter. never read them on your first glance, though. I can't, no, especially if it's dark, I can't see them. But this is the first dice set I ever got, and it was from my one of my good friends named Trajan, and he bought it for me for my first game of D&D ever. And I've never changed them because I love these die. 
I think I have sim. Yeah, I have similar superstition. Not necessarily about rolling, but the dice I use. I have two sets of dice. One that I bought at Twenty Sided Store in Brooklyn, and another that I got from Greg Tito from D and D, who nice works at drop, y'all. who works at Wizards of the Coast. And um, the ones that I get from Wizards, I feel like are my DM dice. It feels very they're official. Sanctioned. Yeah, it feels like they're sanctioned just for DMing. I keep the highest number up. I want the dice to feel comfortable in that position. <laughs> um, you know, with specifically D20s, when the 20 is up, the one is down. I need that one Trying to, to feel that. as comfortable as it can be and as happy as it can be touching the literal table because I cannot tolerate a one. I have thrown dice onto the floor and in the trash you have. that has failed me. Everyone here is literally shaking their heads. <laughs> I do have one nerdy dicing that I would actually do because it's actually real. Uh, Whoa! Certain, uh, <laughs> Hot take! That's so mean. Your dice can be weighted unevenly, just by the way it's made. So mm-hmm. like the way you can check is if you get a cup of salt water and put enough salt in it to where your dice floats, mm-hmm. uh, it's buoyant. And then you spin the die, and if you get an even distribution of the numbers, it means it's statistically and weighted accurately. So if you get, like, 14 sevens in a row, you know your dice is fucked up. So, like, don't use that die. Uh, And we actually have a new place that y'all can ask us questions, um, which is our Discord. It's a chat room that we have created specially for patrons. So our wonderful patrons just log in every day, and we have a a channel to talk about RPGs, a channel to talk about the show, a channel to talk about random stuff, like Mulder and Scully's outfits from X-Files in the late 90s. Um, Good stuff. So anyway, I think, Eric, we have some questions from the Discord, right? I do. I got one right here from FJork3. That's Ben Horkley, right? That is indeed Ben Horkley. Here's a question. For the player characters, how much do previous characters you've played influence your choices? And if so, do you try to be more like ones you've liked or intentionally unlike ones you've already done? That's a good question. Uh, So I've played three different characters now. My first one I ever made was a gnome. It was a sorcerer gnome named Gnome Mercy. Uh, oh, boy. He was, oh, boy. Uh, Jesus. He was a member of the the law the law enforcement agency. Um, God damn. Ooh, trends. Trendy. <laughs> the progression is interesting because he was this character that was all about like being studious, but also kind of like a drunk and like didn't really care about the party much. He just kind of wanted to like read books and like drink wine. And that wasn't Same. really a fun. Same. Yeah, right. Uh, it wasn't enough. I thought it'd be fun, but it really wasn't a fun character to play. So the second time I went swung in the opposite direction with a ranger I play uh, who is a recluse uh, and is an elf and has a gorilla buddy. And uh, it's kind of like a buddy cop movie, which is really fun to play, but like not fun to listen to. <laughs> so I think in this one, I, I really it, it took those data points and informed like I want to be close to my character, but I want I want them to be unique and I want them to have their own motivations and their own influences. And this Tracy is like someone who's actually like a real thing. It's not just like a idealized like uh, stereotype of a character. Mm. So Johnny B reminds me a lot of a monk I once had that ended up dying really quickly. Mm. <laughs> uh, he cared a lot. And that was his problem. He was really much too generous. And unfortunately for him, he didn't have the power to match the generosity. And what he lacked was a meaning in the world. So what I gained from him is that 
I wanted whatever character I would play now to have an ultimate goal that superseded and would survive whatever the quest of the game would be. Mm. For for Johnny, the light and the undying light, the spread of the light, the death of the shadow is more important above everything else. And everything else is to help make that happen. And that's more important than anything else. And I think that's important for him. So I think what I'm gleaning from both of us is that it's not a question of if we try to be the ones we've liked or intentionally unlike the ones we've already done. It's we take what we've learned from yeah. the previous ones and build yeah. them into better characters and their characters just get better as you go on. I know Johnny is a good character in the sense that he has enough depth and enough things that between Eric, the other characters and myself, we can make him interesting and fun because of the fact that there's been other failures in the past that I've played through. Johnny could not exist without literally every character that I've either DM'd or played as. Inara is my first character of substance. I had like five or six meetings of a previous party, which is my first and only experience with D&D in the kind of months leading up to starting the show. In that campaign, my character is a cleric and sharing some things with Inara in that my cleric was really kind of reserved, you know, and, and then a little bit like less enthusiastic and just effusive than I am in life. And the difference here, though, I think, is that I'm really finding real motivation for Inara. And I'm able to to know kind of increasingly as we go on more and more what she would do in a situation based on her and not just based on, oh, what is this like collection of abilities on my character sheet say that this character can do responding to the situation? Um, and I think even over the course of the episodes that we've done so far, I'm starting more and more to emphasize the parts of Inara that I think are interesting and like really move toward what feels like the truth of the character, you know, as she gets bolder and as I get more experience as a player talking in first person more like, you know, kind of jumping into stuff without describing what I want to do more. And also, I don't know, just being more, more decisive. And I see all of that as a function of getting to know the character better. And some of that relates to me as a person, you know, wanting to be more decisive and more spontaneous and more committing the things that I want to commit to. And so seeing those things come out in my character is just a really interesting, like, through line to to my life. Dope. I actually have, there's a question for me here on the Discord as well. For the DM, have you ever recycled PCs from previous games as NPCs? Fucking video games. All I have to say is, ugh. <laughs> I'm going to tell <laughs> our listeners about a video story. Games, but I'm quitting. I'm about to. There's a character that was created for a one-off that I was a DM of, and my brother Johnny, may or may not be a basis of the name Johnny, Eric and Brandon called Video James. <laughs> and boy, howdy, is Video James a character. His stats are uh, insane. He has no strength to speak of. Yeah. In fact, negative strength to yep. speak of. Very similar to Johnny, except worse. <laughs> and everything else is so powerful. His spell set is incredible. His skills are incredible. He has a horrible voice. He has a horrible personality. And Eric has brought him to life, in my understanding, at least three separate campaigns now. <laughs> Total. Video James is the constant. And, and I dread the moment that Video James comes up knowing that this was a character I literally made the character sheet of. And Eric decided to give a personality. And I know I'm, it's like, 
It's like you're the scientist in a zombie apocalypse movie and you know you're you were the one who wanted like cure cancer but suddenly made everyone uh, a zombie. All right. Okay, well, I had a character who was a warlock whose name was Video James. He was insufferable. But that was his thing. He was lawful evil. The only thing he cared about was himself and his familiar. And I gave him a terrible voice. He goes, Video James, I'm going to fuck you up. We, we remember, his, his charisma was super high. So I wanted to play him as such. If anything, that just taught me that people don't have to like your characters, which kind of gave me a lot of free range to do stuff with Greg and to do stuff with our antagonists. I mean, you guys don't like a lot of the people who you've met. And I think that's okay. There's so, a lot of these people are self-serving, much like Video James. Also, Video James had like five familiars. So like he was super powerful. And I think that when you see someone who does things that you can't do anything about, it also is really frustrating. And I try to embody that with a lot of the characters who have power in this campaign. He was also my cousin. And my name is LL Cool James. <laughs> <laughs> we have a question from our email. You can email us your, your after-party questions at hello at jointhepartypod.com. This is from Maria Martinson. Hey, that sounds like a person we know. Hey. I like her. Hey, loving the party, having a blast, and just wanted to ask you guys a quick question. Your pod has gotten me super interested in playing D&D, but I'm a complete noob and have no idea where to start. I don't have any friends who play, and all of my Google searches have been for naught, so I'm not even sure where I might find anyone to play with. Any tips? Tack in advance, all the way from Stockholm, Sweden, Maria Martinson. Maria, we love you, and you've come to the right place. A lot of people have asked us this question. I don't know. It's like our pod is attracting a lot of new players or people who are now falling in love with D&D, and we're really excited to answer this question. I think my first thing for you to do is to go to your local game store. Your local game store will have everything you need to know to start, and the people who work there are very knowledgeable and hopefully be very nice. All anyone wants to do if they care about board games, role-playing games, is to teach new people. And this would be the perfect place to start. And I know that there are a lot of places that have like DM classes, that have D&D classes, that run D&D Adventures League, which is like you can show up and there's already a DM who have a game to play and you can just pop in and bring your character. Hopefully you can find people in real life who will give you that leg up so my suggestion, find your local game store, talk to people, and then you can buy the starter pack from D&D. And maybe the idea of walking into a game store and starting a game or even just saying saying the words D&D is intimidating. It certainly was for me. So my kind of two suggestions would be, one, maybe you are the person to start this in your friend group. So maybe you will just leap into DMing and see how it goes. That's how we started, where you know a, a couple of our friends said, I really want to play D&D. We were lucky enough to find out that one of our friends, Eric, had experience doing this game. So it was, it was easy, but we were also prepared to just like buy the books, figure it out, and like learn, start playing on our own. So maybe you have some friends who you can convince and say like, hey, listen, join the party or hey, I just believe me, like, let's do this thing for a few hours one night and just see how it goes. But also there are lots of spaces online for you to meet folks and to start playing. Um, and especially, like I said earlier, if the idea of walking into a physical location and trying something new with people you've never met before is intimidating, I totally get that. So there's this site called Roll20, which is a place to meet other players and to play D&D online. Um, and there are probably also a ton of Facebook groups for people who like gaming in your area. Or maybe there's other Facebook groups. Like I'm I'm in a like New York City area like book club with women in it and lots of us have like 
you know, knitting meetups and, and D and D meetups we do and, and, you know, go to yoga classes together. So again, maybe in a sort of another area where, you know, folks are ready, or you have a common interest, you can find people who are interested in D and D or search specifically for, you know, role-playing or gaming or tabletop gaming groups in your area. Any bars that play trivia might have board game nights. Just kind of look and see places that you can find groups ready to do that. But, you know, there's no shame at all in starting online and kind of getting comfortable that way before moving into a sort of IRL context. I also want to say that I had never DM'd before. No, you just stepped up to be a DM. Yeah. So it's not so scary. I mean, it is scary, but it's not so scary. Every DM has to start once. Yeah. You just got to do it. You have to be the brave person to be willing to look at a book and read rules and sometimes make stuff up or buy their things that it's all pre-made. You have to be the one to kind of put that effort first. If you are, you can make it. You can do it. I just want to say that there's definitely like it. it's terrifying to do this. And I get it because like, I was there not but two years ago at this point. But like there's really I think there is something special about like putting yourself out there and actually going to like I started with the, the Taz Facebook group. And someone just posted like, hey, who wants to play D&D? And so I commented and say, hey, I'm in. I don't know any of the seven people, six people that showed up. And but now two years later, like we still playing and we're all good friends. Um, and I know that's a really scary step for a lot of people. And it was terrifying for me. But I think people in the space of D&D, there are going to be just inherently people that are going to be accepting and excited to do this weird thing like to be pretend to be someone else for two hours. Like, and that's a really powerful thing to um, step into and just put yourself out there. I think you'll be rewarded. Vulnerable places are where real interactions, real friendship, real interpersonal magic happens. So don't be afraid, y'all. Also just like offer your friends beer and pizza and they'll come over and you can DM for them. Beer, pizza, surprise. It's a board game. That's how I played (laughs) my first tabletop games. (laughs) Thank you, Connor, for bringing Settlers of Catan to a family road trip where we had no TV and no option but to play Settlers of Catan. I never would have said yes otherwise, but look at me now. (laughs) I think one really good tool would be more people, it seems, are comfortable with regular board games. I'm someone who plays even regular board games, kind of RP, role-playing. I'll RP Monopoly. Or or I was recently playing... <laughs> <laughs> you are Mr. Moneybag. Yeah, I was. Wow. No, I was recently playing a game called Acquire, and that's actually what won me the game was because I decided to take on a character. Bringing character and narrative into games that don't necessarily need it kind of show other people that that's cool and fun. And we all, since we were little... Everyone has pretended they were someone else. Everyone has role played. And D&D is just adding rules and structure to the role playing you've already done. So whatever way you end up going in terms of actually finding the rules and playing a specific game, as long as you role play, as long as you stick, you find a narrative, you find a story within yourself or the group, that'll be the fun. That'll be, I think, where you find that nugget of enjoyment that will get everyone to say we want more. So you as a player, bring that, make up a story, be someone else, accentuate who you already are, whatever you want to do, you know, just do that. You'll enjoy it. Everyone will enjoy it. 
show your vulnerability and others will do the same. You will be rewarded for how much you share with others in these games. Yeah, as soon as one person takes the stakes seriously, takes the universe seriously, takes commitment to character seriously, um, that really just invites other people to do the same. Uh, and that's true in, in you know, vulnerability and commitment and friendship. And, and it is true in storytelling as well. And Monopoly. No, not really. No, not really. no just sadness. I am Mon- the cat. <laughs> oh no, the cat's gone. I'm the thumb. Uh, thimble is thimble still there? Thimble is still a word. I don't know if it's still a monopoly know. piece. Oh, damn. Yes, I don't. Know. So sad. Um, so you know, if you can convert your existing friends into gamers, or if you can make new friends out of gamers that you have just met, you should do that. You should try. Be brave. We're here with you, and let us know how it turns out. And I know for a fact that the folks in our Patreon Discord are helping each other with their new games and are helping each other with finding people. Heck yeah. So definitely if you even want to just do the minimum amount in our Patreon, join that discord, meet some people who are interested in playing and we all help each other play these games that are so much fun. And we can tell these stories about ourselves and these fantasy people or non-fantasy people. And if we can help in any way, like if you guys need help with making a character or like if you need help with uh, finding a group, like if we can facilitate that somehow, Understanding please, a rule. please let us know. Yeah, yeah. anything. Let us know. Um, and you can do that at Join the Party Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our Patreon is at patreon.com slash join the party pod. And if you want to write to us, you can do hello at join the party pod.com over email or at our website, join the party pod.com, where we keep our transcripts and character sheets and some character art and all kinds of goodies. You can also send us a contact form through that site. So please, we want to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you in two weeks with a new episode. Light be with you.